Construction and the climate. Focus on insurance. Welcome to Construction and the Climate. This is a podcast series from 39 Essex Chambers with me, Camilla Tahar and Ruth Keating. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the big climate issues affecting the construction sector. Today, we're joined by Dominic Lyon. Dominic Lyon is a director and head of sustainable real estate at Gallagher, a global insurance brokerage. Alongside advising property owners on their insurance programme design and placement, Dominic works with clients and insurers to unlock solutions to safely decarbonise their estate through effective risk transfer. Dominic sits on the board of the Structural Timber Association, where he advises industry, government and the insurance market on the adoption of mass timber. Good morning, Dominic. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you very much for joining us. So I'd like to start by, it's a pretty broad question. What are the insurance challenges for the construction sector when aiming to achieve net zero in construction? Yes, a nice easy one to start with. Thanks, Kivalet. There are many, (laughs) if we're honest. I think they are principally, if I was trying to sort of summarise in a sentence, all based around change. The insurance sector is very much an industry that uses data, uses loss analysis, uses many years of experience to understand how to project forward. And when we're looking at everything that the construction industry is doing around trying to decarbonize, they're generally doing it by using different methods of construction, different techniques, different skills, different ways of doing things that my sector, the insurance sector, are not au fait with, certainly don't fully understand and therefore don't have the data to back up the experience required to know how to underwrite it. So the result is a real challenge around how do you put a price on something which we don't have enough experience of. That's probably the very crude summary. And what it means as a result is an industry that is by its nature very risk averse is looking at lots of change and saying change brings with it maybe not an increased risk always, but certainly different challenges. And in the absence of the ability to quantify those, we're left in a difficult position whereby there has to be at least a somewhat of a buffer built in, if you like, in terms of pricing in order to give the insurers the ability to take a step out in faith almost with that lack of experience. So I'm I'm afraid I have another big question for you. So I think that's really interesting that, of course, the insurance market is very data driven. And when you're doing something new, you just don't have the data that people would have to make other assessments. Does that feed into this feeling that construction insurers might prefer insuring new builds to insuring retrofit projects? Absolutely. It's a mixture of data and actually in that scenario experience, if we're honest. So if we roll back to 2016, 17, essentially the insurance market, well, the construction industry in the UK and consequently the insurance market had a spate of rather large refurbishment type losses. The ones that made the headlines, you will be well aware of, I'm sure, but things like the Glasgow School of Art and the Marinden Oriental in London, and there was a Primark in Belfast, and these were all eight, if not nine figure losses to the industry. Now, those are the ones that made the headlines, but actually underneath that, we've probably, as an industry, if you wanted to, again, overgeneralize and say, what's the one thing that's really hurt our industry in the last 10 or 15 years from a losing money point of view, it is complicated 
refurbishment projects generally that end up having escape of water losses. So escape of water is the, is the number one claim and has been for a number of years in real estate and construction. Now, as I say, they don't necessarily get the headlines because they're not big and easy to write about like fires being very crude. So apologies, but it's such as the nature, but that is a sort of death by a thousand cuts, if you like, of my industry in the last 10 or 15 years, consistent water leaks. And as I say, I do specify escape of water rather than ingress because generally it is escape. It is water that's inside trying to get out rather than the other way. Although obviously we're not immune to ingress of water issues and flooding either local or, or otherwise. And refurbishments as well, the double challenge we have there, forgive me for giving you a bit of a lesson in insurance here, but essentially in the London insurance market and indeed in all insurance markets, you have a construction insurance industry and a property insurance industry. Now, a construction insurance industry is built, set up, understands and likes and is comfortable with new build projects. Something's knocked down it's in its entirety or there was nothing there in the first place and from the ground up, it's a new build. That's their bread and butter. That's what they're comfortable with. That's what they feel like is their bag, if you like. The property industry, as you can probably guess, likes operational buildings where they understand the tenant dynamics, the, the loss of rent exposures, everything that comes with an operational asset. Now, when you get into the realms of refurbishment, it somewhat falls down the cracks in my industry because depending on the scale of the refurbishment and whether the asset's going to be part occupied or not, you can often end up in a scenario where it's not really a pure construction risk in the sense I've just explained, but it's also not really a property risk in the sense I've just explained. It's somewhere in the middle. And so we're starting on the back foot as clients and as insurers to try and understand where this fits best and where the risk should go, really. So you throw into that the loss experience that's happened in those kind of projects in the last five or 10 years, and they are just a lot more challenging placements. But there is definitely a recognition in our industry that is the direction of travel of industry. We can't keep demolishing and rebuilding. Government said it, various councils in London are starting to pretty much mandate it. We recognise it's coming. It's just about how do we best accommodate that in the knowledge that it's more complicated. And as a construction industry, I think we're still learning the best way to do it. I think it, everyone recognises it's a more tricky construction project. So how do we de-risk that as best we can, recognising the additional challenges? Dominic, I think that's such a true point. And I think it's very true of insurers, but I think it's true across the piece in terms of retrofitting and zero generally that there is and there must be, of course, a clear direction of travel. But it does create all of these huge difficulties for very established industries, the insurance market established by no means a new industry having to grapple with these things. I think it's interesting what you said there about this buffer that has to be built in when you're dealing with these kinds of risks. And I think that does raise the question probably for some of our listeners if you do have a retrofit and it is insurable, do you think it's affordable, that insurance? Oof, great question. Holding my feet to the fire there, Ruth, blimey. You can give me the politician's answer, Dominic, if you like. We don't mind. <laughs> is it affordable? I think it requires a change in mindset, like everything does in this space. We know that the norm doesn't work. We know that we can't continue in what is deemed to be the norm anymore, either for sustainability reasons or for financial reasons. Look at the state of our economy. If we're honest, we are where we are because we've tried to carry on doing the norm for a bit too long. Now, honestly, is it affordable? It requires a re-forecasting, if you like, a rebalancing of the books. I think 
just to put it in context, because I like to oversimplify things, but if you went back five years and tried to do a new build steel concrete framed construction project, and it was, let's say, 50 million pounds as a construction value, you were looking at uh, the cost of your construction or risk insurance being somewhere in the region of 50,000 pounds for the whole project. Okay, very crude. Please don't hold me to that. But that was roughly where the market was in 2018, even early 2019. If you try to do that absolute same project today, you're probably looking at four times the cost, about 200,000 for exactly the same risk. So basically my market, my industry is cyclical, like so many are. And we were too cheap for too long. And it was great for clients. And as a broker, I had the best time because it was a constant good news story to my clients. I've got you incredibly cheap insurance. But I think we all knew it wasn't sustainable. And we all knew that there was going to be a, a downside at some point. And that's what's happened. And now it's probably happened slightly more enthusiastically than it might have happened if it weren't for other simultaneous global macroeconomic shocks such as COVID <laughs> and others. So as a result, I think we are in a place where insurance is more expensive probably almost than it has been in a long time. Now, okay, maybe it's not affordable in the sense that it's certainly requires a rethink, if you like, and maybe people need to ask more questions around what am I insuring? What risk can I afford to take on myself? And actually, what risk am I really not comfortable with that I need to insure? But also, I think our industry needs to be sustainable. And I think that we've learned some hard lessons around actually a race to the bottom, like we've had in the construction sector for a long time in terms of contractors. No one wins at the end of the day and it, the chickens come home to roost and it's happened in insurance. We had insurers pulling out left, right and centre of construction in 2019, 2020, literally stopping writing business because they were losing money. So is the pricing now where it probably should be to make it sustainable moving forward? I think so. I don't think it's far off. Is that comfortable for clients? Does it help with their balance sheets? Absolutely not. Is it something we need to learn to live with? Probably moving forward because the cost of capital has just gone up reinsurance goes up in the background. Everything is getting more expensive. And unfortunately, insurance is not immune. We are subject to exactly the same cost pressures as almost any other industry in terms of people, in terms of space, in terms of energy bills. It all stacks up and unfortunately comes back into an insurance premium. And the risk is arguably increasing as environmental risks increase by the year and losses continue to happen. So what can we do as a sector to kind of counteract that? Get better quality, drive quality. Let's be honest, if you have better built buildings that have less claims, that will be reflected in time. But that isn't an overnight change, unfortunately. We've touched on a little bit on sort of the necessity for new technologies when really having a rethink in the way we construct, but also in terms of insurers having a little bit of a rethink and think about what risk am I insuring? And we've also touched a little bit on the gaps in the understanding of the risks of new technologies. How are you seeing the sort of those gaps in understanding being filled or insurers looking to fill or sort of educate themselves and fill those gaps in the understanding of new technologies? I think it's probably not fair. Sometimes it is, but it's, in this scenario, it's probably not fair to bucket the entire insurance industry into one camp because there is a discrepancy. There is a difference between different companies, different people, dare I say it, within those companies and their enthusiasm, appetite towards understanding and towards trying to help change facilitate change, which you know, is, re again, reflected in society as a wider segment. I think what's great is that the change in the market generally has forced people to talk to insurers in a way that, again, three or four years ago, they just weren't. And what, what do I mean by that? I mean, 
now, if you were trying to start again, my hypothetical fifty million pound construction project, whereas in twenty eighteen you might have been able to give me a postcode, told me who the main contractor is, told me the roughly the, the breakdown of the cost of that fifty million pounds between substructure, superstructure, etc. That was about it. If really the amount of information I needed was minimal, and I probably needed a week or two to get it insured, which is all of that if we are honest, is a bit crazy, given it's a £50 million project. Now, absolutely no chance in a week or two. I probably need two to three months. I need far more information, detailed construction information. So insurers are getting into the weeds in a way that they never were before, in a really good way, I think, and actually re-understanding an industry that I think they thought they understood. And then I think, sadly, Grenfell, the tragedy that it was, opened multiple cans of worms far beyond ACM cladding around. My industry had lost sight of what the construction industry had been doing for the last 10 or 15 years in terms of how they build buildings and complicated wall makeups that they just didn't really have a grasp of. And were they really, if they held their hands up, keeping a close enough eye on the quality of what was being delivered as well? As we all know, what's happened in the PI market, particularly for contractors, the quality wasn't good enough. We weren't monitoring it well enough we weren't close enough to the detail and it all kind of came out to roost so i now have as many engineers and architects and qs's in my phone book as i have clients which five years ago i probably knew two and that's great i think that's the sign of where the industry needs to be because communication and information and knowledge is power and i think insurers are as i say some of them more than others but are generally really trying to understand what's happening so that they can support because I don't think there's anything other than a general willingness to want to help and to want to change amongst the insurance industry but it's got to be done in a way that's sustainable for them so as a good example we had an event last week in Lloyds of London which was trying to bring together developers architects engineers clients of ours with the insurance sector and we had to close the guest list four weeks out because we were at 190 with a capacity of 150. There was a huge appetite to be there and to listen and to network and to educate one another. It's just, there isn't a silver bullet, sadly. I've been searching for a while now. So unless you tell me otherwise, I don't think there is a silver bullet. I think it's just comes back to the old hard graft of knowledge sharing, of communication, of education, of uh, just talking to one another, if we're honest. It's the solution to a lot of these issues is, actually is, as you say, communication and learning and being open to what is going on in the industries around you. So Dominic, you've rightly said that there's this huge direction of travel that's happening and there's a huge amount of learning that needs to happen around it. All of us do. We're learning all the time and we have to keep doing that. I think an important part of that desire is, as you say, there are some people who are very embedded in the industry. They really want to know and they want to understand sustainable building. And then there are, of course, some insurers, clients, different people involved in the industry that don't have that same appetite. And so I know myself and Camilla have spoken about this a lot, but a really important part of the piece then is how do you think you build that case for the construction of sustainable buildings? And I think maybe more pertinently to hear from you, Dominic, in turn, how do we get that case to be built for insuring these buildings in the insurance market? I think the good news is that I think the climate argument is one in my sector. I don't think there are many doubters anymore. So I think everyone recognises that there's a problem and that we need to find a solution. I think 
the challenge remains that, as I say, insurers, if we're brutally honest, aren't charities. They are profit-making businesses and they will only be able and willing to underwrite things if they can make the financial model stack up in the same way as everyone else. And ironically, if one of them did come out and started insuring everything sustainable really cheaply and went bust, that wouldn't be any good for anyone because, well, we've lost an insurer. So I'm not here to sing a sob story for insurers, far from it, but I think I do recognise the challenges they have. So what then can we do to get them on that journey? And again, it comes back to this talking talking their language, I think, is the key bit that we've been missing for a long time. There's an expectation almost that you give them an ounce of information, they'll go away and do a whole load of research in the background and come to the right conclusions on their own. I think we need to lead the horse to water a little bit more so that they can start to genuinely understand the risks because I think they don't, again, crudely, they don't know what they don't know and they recognise that in a quite dramatic way in the last three or four years when claims started coming in and they started losing money. So with that in mind, to be going into an insurance market now where you've got people who are more risk, almost more risk averse than ever, if we're honest, and slightly questioning whether they really ever understood steel and concrete that they thought they did. Again, crude, but you take my point. It's trying to say to them that this isn't just the right thing to do, because I think we all know that's the case, but it's actually the safest thing to do as well. And these are the reasons why, and this is why, you know, on the face of it, yes, building a building out of timber, you're building a building out of something that's combustible. Let's not ignore that. However, I hand on heart believe that the seven or eight construction projects that I've been involved in in the last year or two that involve mass timber are probably the seven or eight best construction projects I've been involved in almost ever because the attention to detail right from stage one design to quality to safety is absolutely incredible because it has to be because there's so much scrutiny on anything new novel coming into our sector right now. And that's the story we need to tell is, okay, look, the risks are different and we understand that and we empathise with that, but they are being managed so well because there is such a collective energy and belief and passion to do this right and to do it properly rather than race to the bottom, chuck it out quick, get out and move on, which perhaps was the bane of our industry for quite a long time and might still be in parts. Do you see my point? It's flipping the rhetoric on its head. The other one I always like to use as a crude example is Insurer's probably least favourite thing in my space, in the real estate space, is unoccupied buildings because the risks of unoccupied buildings statistically go up significantly, whether it's because of someone not being there to notice a problem when it happens, whether it's through squatters, through arson, you name it. Unoccupied buildings are insurer's almost worst nightmare in my real estate insurance space. Let's not get into politics too much here, but with what we thought were the changes coming, <laughs> what you're allowed to let out in terms of EPC ratings and, and energy efficiency of buildings, I think the rhetoric needs to be more and more to insurers as well. Your clients that you like right now, who you think are good clients because they are sticking, if you like, to the status quo and just carrying on as normal, they're storing up problems for the future. In three or four years' time, they're going to have a load of buildings they can't let because they won't be up to scratch. And actually, the guys that you're a bit nervous about right now who are proactive, who are retrofitting, who are doing all the right things in three or four years' time are going to be the clients you want because they're going to have occupied buildings and they're actually going to be a lower risk than the ones that you think right now are the good ones. So it's a mix between a story and fact. Let's be honest, as most of life is, there's a good amount of fact to be told and then there's a little bit of messaging. 
and a little bit of PR that needs to happen. It's really heartening to hear about the passion and the energy of these parts of the sector in making change and having a, a rethink and wanting to engage with sustainable construction. And we've also talked about sort of the understanding, need to understand the new and different risks. And I wanted to ask you about innovation and in insurance in relation to insuring sustainable buildings. Where have you seen innovation and in insurance in relation to sustainable building? So I think to sort of preempt my answer, I think this is genuinely one of the biggest challenges is unfortunately what we're trying to do here is innovate in a sector that is very well established and has done the same thing for a very long time. It's not like we're trying to innovate in crypto where I think everyone who works in crypto's mindset is to innovate every day and to do something different because that's just the way the industry works. In our industry, it's no, this is the way we've always done it. Why would we do anything differently? And the real estate and construction insurance spaces, unfortunately, I think are the same, are guilty of the same issues where innovation in that space is slow to take effect. That being said, there are some really good success stories. I think there have been various pockets of the market trying to come up with literally new products, new insurance products. So Chase Underwriting are a great example. They, about two years ago now, I think, released a new policy, which was essentially specifically aimed at mass timber construction projects. And it was a policy very much designed to try and support not just the absolute tier one blue chips of this world in developing mass timber, because actually they're not necessarily the ones with the problem, but it was to try and support the kind of mid-sized developers in being able to obtain equitable construction insurance for new types of buildings. Again, sadly, the challenge there has been it's always a bit chicken and an egg, and clients have often said, oh, until we're very confident that we can get that insurance, we'll probably just revert to steel and concrete on this one. And... I don't think the timing of the product was quite right, but I'm pretty confident it's still there. Regardless of whether it underwrote loads and loads of business or not, I think what was really positive was it sort of sent a signal to the market that there was a gap here, which was an opportunity. Again, I think Chase, let's be honest, saw it as an opportunity. They saw a chance to fulfill a need that wasn't being met and in doing so probably make quite a bit of money if they got it right. What's happening now is I think generally, and I think this is was always going to be the case, there was a there's a general feeling in my industry that this was always going to be a problem that needed to be addressed by the biggest insurers because it was such a big challenge. And actually, you couldn't really ask a small MGA of the insurance world to come in and solve a problem that very quickly should run into the billions of pounds if we get it right, because that's the scale of the challenge. So I think whilst it was a great attempt to evade, and there have been a couple of others, what really now is happening, which is really heartening, is that the big insurers are finally starting to move and to make positive statements and actually back those up with action too around, no, we get it and we also get that we don't fully get it, but we are going to step out in a little bit of faith with the right clients who communicate with us and support them. And yes, don't expect it to cost the same, but we will try not to just hike the price for the sake of hiking the price. We're going to try and find a price point that works for all of us here whilst addressing the fact that this is a different risk that none of us fully understand in the same way that we did traditional, if you like. What's really interesting is there's a lot more innovation around carbon. And so the insurance sector is innovating much more quickly and, and in many more exciting ways in areas that you perhaps wouldn't be surprised that they would innovate because they're essentially new markets. So things like carbon credits and 
now moving into the space of biodiversity credits and carbon capture and, and all of the sort of things that are new to industry, genuinely new to industry. My sector is now starting to innovate quite extensively in those spaces because it's sort of like they've got a blank slate, so it's just that much easier. Whereas I think we're still sort of chugging slowly in the direction of vague innovation when it comes to real estate construction, insurance and new methods. But I think, sadly, I, again, I've come to the sort of recognition, I think that that's the way it needs to happen because we need Aviva, Zurich, AXA, etc., to be on board because we need that scale of capacity to scale up the solutions realistically. Thank you very much, Dominic. I feel like we've had a whistle-stop tour of the scale of the challenges, the scale of the sort of unknown unknowns, but also the kind of the passion and the energy and the will that is there to face those challenges and just more discussions and more communication between everyone in the sector will help us help the sector succeed in building sustainably. And that's really encouraging. Absolutely. I think my industry sometimes fairly gets some bad press, but underlying there are some really good people and there are people who care and want to help change, but they have to do it in a way that means they have a job next year and that doesn't sink their company, <laughs> to be blunt. So it's a balance, it's a risk, it's a trade-off like everything in life. But there is a load of energy amongst our sector to the point of even there are now speed dating type evening socials amongst insurance professionals to get those who really care about the climate together to talk about solutions and what's going on. You know, it's happening. Maybe we don't shout quite loudly enough about the good stuff that's happening. But there's a genuine passion amongst a lot of people in my sector to help facilitate change. And we recognise we are a facilitator. We can be a blocker and we can also be a facilitator. So it's that call on everyone. Let's collectively work together to genuinely unblock the barriers to change and help people progress with confidence know that if the worst was to happen, there's an insurance policy behind them. Oh, no, I think it sounds encouraging. Thank you very much, Dominic, for joining us this morning. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. At 39 Essex Chambers, we cover a vast array of practice areas and sectors. You can find out more about our expertise and our barristers at 39essex.com, where you can also see our extensive catalogue of articles, podcasts and webinars.